You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, we're grateful for once more your presence among us. Uh, we need special discernment and wisdom during this last hour because we want, Lord, to have a right conception of your will in these practical areas. So bless us now, Lord, with your presence and with the Holy Spirit in each one of our hearts. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, by the way, if you ever want to know how to get control of a crowd, you have prayer. <laughs> That's how you do it. I've, there's been times where I've had crowds and it just could not, and I just start, Our Father in Heaven, and just, whoa! It's amazing. I mean, I guess it had to be a somewhat uh, respectful crowd. <laughs> but anyway, um, okay, so we're going to start with the issue of Christian dress, but just before I dive into that, I want to read one statement from the pen of Ellen White that I think is important in terms of how she wrote about different lifestyle issues, or different health uh, issues. Some people have read what she says about, uh, for instance, milk and eggs and cheese and dairy, and they have, um, I believe, elevated that to a level that was not what she herself uh, intended. And I'm not saying that a vegan, di a vegan diet is not a, a great way to live and a very optimal diet, but I am saying that um, that's, we don't want to, again, take things and put them, give a, um, an importance to them or a, uh, a level of significance to them that she and inspiration does not. Okay? So there's this statement that I'm going to share with you, and it creates a couple of categories. I think we could almost create a few different categories if we read her writings. But I'm going to share this one with you. It's from the book Selected Messages, book 3, page 287, or, if you would prefer, from the Discipleship Handbook, page 160. <laughs> All right. Tea, coffee, tobacco, and alcohol we must present as sinful indulgences. We cannot place on the same ground meat, eggs, butter, cheese, and such articles placed upon the table. These are not to be borne in front as the burden of our work. The former, tea, coffee, tobacco, beer, wine, and all spirituous liquors, are not to be taken moderately, but discarded. The poisonous narcotics are not to be treated in the same way as the subject of eggs, butter, and cheese. Did you get that? It kind of created some helpful, uh, what do I want to say, emphasis, layers of emphasis of, you know, improving our health. I mean, the first thing to do, there's certain things that we should discard, okay? And those are things we don't take moderately. We just discard them because they just are inconsistent with the Spirit of God working on the heart and with the Christian life. And those were that, which he calls this, the narcotics, the poisonous narcotics, which includes addictive, mind-altering substances used for recreational purposes, right? No, these are not herb teas that she's speaking of. 
And she's not even technically speaking of caffeine. Because some people will say, we've got to discard chocolate. And yet, chocolate was around in Ellen White's day, but she, you do not hear her condemn the, uh, the taking of chocolate. And, 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 likely, and some of you are you know, cheering in your chair right now. Um, likely because of you know, what could be considered almost a subclinical dose of caffeine. Just not a, you'd have to eat a lot of chocolate to get a really you know, good buzz on a long drive. You know what I mean? Like, that's, not how, that's not the purpose and not how you use it. So point being, she does have certain things, though, that she puts in this discard category, and then she has other things that she speaks very clearly that are not the best. But here she makes sure we know that it's possible that those could be taken in moderation. And that includes lots of things, right? Meat and cheese and butter, etc. Things that she speaks very strongly about not being necessarily uh, optimal. So we need to not refer to these second-tier items as sinful items. Sinful indulgences. And this is where some people get off the rails. And they claim to be spirit of prophecy believing people, but I don't know why they ignore some of her balancing statements, such as this one, that help us to understand that not everything is of an equal level of importance. We're going to talk about Christian dress now, and I'm just going to um, not dilly dally. Can we just not dilly dally and get, because I don't have a lot of time? I'm going to tell you that when we talk about Christian dress, it's important first to talk about just the issue of uh, modesty and the issue of appearance. Um, that our appearance matters. Our appearance actually says something to people. Um, and that regardless of what this culture tells us, which is that people are wrong if they think that Appearance should in any way enter into the mind. Like, you know, oh, you, you looked and noticed my appearance. You're, you know, an awful person. People view, like, at the moment you start recognizing appearance, that's a, that's a bad thing. You're judging. No, there's a big difference, by the way, between judging and observing. <laughs> and the Bible does not say that we don't observe or we don't discern. It says we should not judge, we should not condemn. But certainly, everybody is influenced by appearance, okay? You influence other people by your appearance. You do. People think things about you based on your appearance. Um, just so you're off the hook, I think you're all just warm, friendly people. So, so no problem. But there's no question that how we dress says something about us. And, um, you know, I would not say this uh, in a Bible study, but Ellen White actually talks about how ministers, some ministers totally um, undercut their message by the way that they dress and appear, slovenly or whatever it might be, and that that impression causes people to not have a high regard or respect for them. And there, therefore, when you don't have a high regard or respect, then you, it diminishes the importance or the trustworthiness of the message that's being given. 
So don't think that it has no impact at all. Appearance is a reflection. It's, it's a reflection of what's on the inside. It really is. Um, it doesn't mean that you can make a, an entire judgment of somebody based on the outside appearances. We know that from the story of David, right? Um, you know, God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. But there is much truth to the fact that outward appearance matters. <clears throat> and God cared about it. If you read about uh, the priests and what they had to do prior to ministering, there was a lot involved. You know, oftentimes the people of God would be asked at different stages to change their clothes, to wash, to purify, to do different things, hygiene and other things. I mean, one of the things that I <clears throat> will train people when they're going out to witness door to door, I say, you know, dress respectfully. You don't have to dress in a suit, but dress respectfully, um, not slovenly, and have good hygiene. Hygiene matters. And you would think you wouldn't have to say that, but sometimes you do. People can be turned off. And so, if, if you know that appearance matters to you, then you have to know that your appearance matters and it says something to other people. So what is our outward appearance saying to people? That's something that we need to evaluate. Now, um, we're going to go straight to a key text, and the key text is in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, if you want to know where 1 Timothy is, that's in the T books, right? There's five books that start with T that come right before Philemon, which is only one page, which comes right before Hebrews. So you go to the T books, and you'll find 1 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, we're going to look at verse 8. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8. Have you found it? All right. The Bible says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Now, modest apparel. When it says modest apparel, what, what would you say is, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about particular clothing items at this point, but what's the meaning of modest? Okay, you could say covered up, but you can be talking about modesty without talking about clothing, right? What is the meaning of modesty just as a... As, okay. Not provocative. We're still talking about clothing. Okay, not attracting... If you have a modest view of yourself, you have a um, humble view, right? Um, you know, if you have a modest amount of something, it's a moderate amount, right? So the idea is there is some parameter that is being put. Some parameter, right? I mean, that by very definition, modesty is kind of limiting. It's, it's a parameter. So, right from the start, the Scripture says that we should have parameters on our outward appearance. Can you say that that's clear biblically? We should have parameters. Now, the thing about it is, 
you know, we can speak and we should about the fact that um, modesty, as it has been expressed here, is also from the clothing standpoint, from the bodily standpoint, it's about not being provocative. Okay? And there's much truth to that. And I know that some people think that it's, it's, it's um, wrong to, to try and say that I shouldn't be able to show whatever. That's not my responsibility. It's your responsibility to control your own eyes. You know, don't worry. I don't think that that's a Christian way of thinking because a Christian is going to try to protect their brother and sister. And if that type of dress provokes thoughts that Jesus told us not to have, then obviously we're going to want to be at least a little bit careful. This doesn't mean that you can, you know, totally control somebody who's got a perverted mind. Okay? You're not saying that. Um, you should, nobody should feel the burden of trying to control somebody who's got a perverted mind, you know, and walk around with a sleeping bag on or something. But the point is, there is a, a degree to which modesty is talking about a limitation. Okay? Now, in light of that, Let's remember, um, and, and I know this is, this is hard, this is talking about both men and women. Okay? Let me say it a different way. This applies to both men and women. But the text itself is speaking to who? To women. That's okay. That's okay. It's not, it's not an anti-woman text. It's speaking about the beauty of women. And, and it's, you should think of it as a positive thing. But it is, it is relating this because there are um, some uh, special challenges that many men have with visual uh, provoking. And if you read in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus talks about not lusting in the heart. What does he say? If you look at a woman to lust after her. So if you're going to get on, you know, people for being, you know, sexist about this whole thing, you've got to get on Jesus. Because he specifically acknowledged in that text that men are inclined toward uh, sinful, impure thoughts. And, and this is why the, you know, women are being instructed here to some extent. Okay? But the truth is that this particular passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is not specifically talking about not dressing scantily. It certainly applies, because it is talking about a limitation, it's talking about modesty, but the context is a little bit different. Because see, there's two different types of modesty. There's modesty like not uh, exposing um, sensual parts of a body so that you provoke someone to impure thoughts. There's that type of modesty. But there's also modesty as in not dressing too elaborately or showy or... Uh, what's the word I want to use? I don't know, I came up with two. That's good enough. What's that? Extravagantly. Extravagantly. Yeah, very good. 
So both of those can apply here, but specifically, he's speaking more about extravagantly in the context. Now we're going to look at it together. And um, we're going to pick up right where we left off in verse 9. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation. Do we have any other translations here? <laughs> I love the King James. Shamefacedness. We need to bring that word back. I really like that word. Um, with shamefacedness and even sobriety, right? Okay, sobriety. What's sobriety? Besides not drinking. Sobriety, soberness, what's soberness? Seriousness? Um, you know, a certain measure of um, being appropriate, not foolish. You know, the sobriety. There's a bit of seriousness to it. Notice in my version it says, um, with propriety and moderation. Propriety is sort of appropriate, right? So it's too bad because these words denote sort of a bit of some subjectivity, right? Because what's appropriate? Appropriate is sort of a word that denotes, um, you know, something that's culturally acceptable. Well, our culture accepts anything. <laughs> It says that to you. <laughs> yeah, because you would be ashamed to dress that way. But what I'm saying is, culturally, somebody now is like, oh, I'm not ashamed of that. But that's only what they're saying. The truth is, deep down, people know, because God made us this way. Remember, after sin, what was the first thing that Adam and Eve did? <laughs> right? They covered themselves. Because there is a sense in which we know that there is something that is um, not appropriate about certain um, manner of dress. But it, so it uses these words that are somewhat subjective. But then he gets very specific. And this is the point that I want to come to because Seventh-day Adventists, I'm going to just say this because we're all already probably aware, Seventh-day Adventists believe that the Bible teaches that we should not wear jewelry. So, where do we get that? Why do we as Seventh-day Adventists not tell people how long their skirts should be? Why do we tell them, why don't we tell them um, how expensive of a car they're allowed to buy? I'll tell you how. Seventh-day Adventists take the Bible and we take the principles from the Bible and apply them but what the Bible does not expressly prohibit, we have to educate on, but we cannot draw lines where the Scripture does not draw lines. This is why some people are like, oh, no makeup. What are you talking about? Where do you get that from, scripturally? That's not, you're not going to find that in Scripture. Now, I could take from the principle the idea of not looking unnaturally, the idea of not being vain, and all that. And you can, you can apply that. But it's still, there's a measure of subjectivity to it. You know what I'm saying? Just, and that's why I can't say your skirt has to be X inches above the ground, because the Bible doesn't tell us that. So if we do that, we're going beyond the Bible and saying things that inspiration does not say. So we teach the principle, and we can certainly give guidance, but we need to 
give uh, a certain measure of room. But not so when it comes to the issue of jewelry. That's the point that I'm making. People like to say, oh, well, you know, you have a problem with my jewelry, but what about all those people driving rich cars? I see them in the parking lot. I say, well, if the Bible specifically prohibited the driving of $30,000 cars, then we would make sure that that was a baptismal requirement. But it doesn't. You know, what am I going to do? Say that a blouse that's $99 is acceptable, but 100 and above is off limits in this church. Like, we, don't, we can't do that. Those are lines that Scripture doesn't draw, and inspiration, Ella White, does not draw. So we have to draw lines where Scripture does. But the reason that we hold the position that we do on jewelry is because we believe that Scripture draws a line. That's why we, that's why we say it. So now let's look at it here in 1 Timothy. And to me, this is the clearest place. But we can we could look at others. First Timothy two verse nine again with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Okay, so you tracked with all that was in there, right? Let's come back here. First, he says that women adorn themselves in what type of apparel? Modest apparel. Now, the sentence structure is such, and then he says, with propriety and moderation, okay? Not with. So just to be clear, what he's saying is that modest apparel, he's now defining it for us, right? He's defining it. He is explaining what he meant by appropriate, by moderate. Not with means that that, whatever he's about to list, is not moderate, modest. It's not appropriate. It's not moderate. Okay? Do you follow that from the text itself? I just want to make sure you see it in the text and not just from what I'm saying. That's how he's saying it. Now, not with. Let's be clear here. There's a lot of discussion about braided hair. And there is no clear answer, but there's general acknowledgement that the Apostle Paul here, in the light of talking about extravagance, was not talking about a simple braid or something. Okay, That's not what he was talking about. But evidently there were practices in the time of the Apostle Paul that were very elaborate, and it's likely that this was a reference to a practice that was happening at that time. We don't know exactly, but it's interesting to me, and I think it's valid in the text, that there is a qualifying adjective in order to speak of a certain hairstyle that is not appropriate. What's the qualifying adjective? Braided or broidered. So let's just be clear. Hair, having hair, is not immodest. Did you hear what I said? Having hair is not immodest. You can wear your hair in a way that is modest. That's good news, right? That's why you have to put a qualifying adjective on it. Braided hair. There's a certain type of hairstyle that became immodest, right? Wearing clothing is not immodest. You can have clothes. That is not immodest. That's why there has to be a qualifying adjective. Costly clothing. Did you see that in the text? Costly clothing. He doesn't draw a specific line, this much money or whatever, but he makes it clear. Costly, elaborate, okay? 
So he had to put a qualifying adjective because there is clothing that can be modest. There is hair that can be modest. So he had to qualify it. But when you know there are no gold or pearls that can be modest. He didn't say costly pearls. Or he didn't say shiny gold. You know, he didn't say, uh, yeah, pick your, pick your adjective. He just said braided hair, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. So the gold and pearls wearing these elements, there is no modest application of it that he could speak of as long as you're using it in the context of what he's talking about, which is to adorn yourself. Okay? Now, says so Seventh-day Adventists, we believe that because the context is speaking about adorning yourself, that he's not talking about functional use. Okay, so that's the distinction we make. Because, you know, if your watch happens to have some gold on it or whatever, that does not mean that you're adorning yourself. You're wearing it for the purpose of telling time, not for the purpose of adorning yourself. Okay? Now you're, you're still tracking with me, right? Are you going to throw something at me? I'm getting, you know, you're all looking at me really funny. Something you're not getting. Go ahead. Paul's point in this particular text is not so much, his particular application is not so much about provocative dress in this application as much as it is about extravagant dress. Because specifically, he doesn't say scantily, you know, or, you know, um, uh, revealing clothing. He says costly clothing. So his point in the text has more to do with extravagant, not to say that he doesn't also believe that there must be modesty and proper coverage of the body. Maybe it, the issue at the time was not so much people walking around in bikinis. Right, 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 right. Okay, let's come back to the text. The, the prohibition here, why do we think there's a prohibition here? What about the text? What are the words in the text that tell us that there are things that are prohibiting these things? What are the words? Okay, we're not there yet. What are the words that, that, that reveal to us that this is a prohibition? What's a prohibition, by the way? Why am I using that word? That means you can't, or, or it's, it's not, you, not uh, appropriate, or whatever. So, who's somebody say? Thank you, sister. Not with. Did you hear the sister? Not with. What does not with mean? Can we tell someone who has those beads in their hair that that is totally not appropriate and therefore we're going to withhold baptism because why not? Why not? Because the text, because the text gives us a subjective word. It's the same reason why if someone was wearing a gold, or a, uh, not a, that's not a good example. Someone just wearing like a $5,000 suit, okay? Would that be costly clothing? 
Would we withhold baptism from the person wearing the 5,000 uh, suit? Why not? Because the word costly is not specific. You understand what I mean? The word costly is definitely, if we can educate and we should labor with the brother and what have you, but I'm just saying that the word is subjective in its nature. The reason that we can do it with jewelry is there is no qualifying adjective. There is no, you know, a little bit or whatever. It's or gold or pearls. Not with, if you just put ellipses in there, not with gold or pearls. And that is clear, a clear description of, you know, an expression for jewelry. Yeah, well, then we could get into um, the issue of what, when we refer to gold or pearls, what the issue is. Because it's not costly gold or pearls, the issue is not about cost. The issue is about uh, display. Okay? So, and, and the display comes from the attitude, for sure. But before we get too far, <laughs> I see we're starting to get going here. But I want, I'm wanting to make sure we understand that from the text, there are certain things that we can draw clear lines in and other things that we can't. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that some of them are just fine or whatever, but there are certain things, and we can draw lines on, on the issue of jewelry. We really can, because the apostle does it. When he says, not with, um, you know, the example I give is, suppose I went to a, you know, Bob Evans, and I asked for an omelet. And I said, um, but when you make my uh, omelet, I'd rather it be not with peppers or onions. And then he goes, okay, he goes back. And then he comes back out, and he gives me an omelet, and I see a couple of peppers and onions sticking out. I'm like, well, I thought I told you not with peppers and onions. And he says, well, I, I didn't put many of them in there. I mean, I just put a few in there. What would you say to that? You say, well, that's not the meaning of not with. Not with implies not with any. You understand? That's, that's, how, that's how that sentence runs. Dressed with modest apparel, not with. And then it lists the jewelry. So the point is that Scripture itself, we don't have to look to Ellen White, who is very clear, crystal clear, we can look to Scripture itself and see. In fact, when Ellen White de deals with this issue, and she talks about certain people who, you know, um, there's a specific story. Has anybody ever read the story of Mrs. D? Mrs. D was a lady in one of our institutions. Was Mrs. D the worker, or was Mrs. D the new member, or the, or the member? I can't remember. She was the worker? Okay. So there was a worker in one of our sanitariums or something, who was a more experienced member than this member that went to this facility, and the member that went to the facility had gotten rid of all of her jewelry, and she was, there were certain pieces that she was wanting to, uh, to sell or get rid of and maybe give the proceeds to the church. And Mrs. D, working at the institution, more experienced member, said, oh, well, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Um, here at our institution, we wear gold chains and watches and dress like other people because we don't think that it's 
good policy to look so different, it keeps us from being able to reach the people. And uh, then Ellen White, in telling the story, says that the woman then quoted to her the clear counsel from Peter and Paul. Now, it's a fascinating story for this reason. It's fascinating because Ellen White viewed the counsel of Peter and Paul to be clear. You understand what I'm saying? She didn't think it was like, oh, I can't, I'm not sure if it's saying. No, she was like, no, this is definitely what it's saying. Um, so she goes on to talk about how this sister, you know, thankfully uh, kept her convictions, but she made a, had a very strong statement against Mrs. D and others who will have to face the results of their decisions uh, before God. So uh, you can read it in the story in the Discipleship Family. <laughs> but anyway, Ellen White was clear. We have no problem with that. But what some people struggle with is the Bible. So let me, let me point you to uh, two more texts specifically, and then I would refer you to a chapter called The Beauty of Modesty in here, or your Bible study 6C right here to get a little bit more insight into this. But let's look now at 1 Peter. Oh, by the way, before I go to 1 Peter, I need to, I need to touch on this last part. Verse 10 of 1 Timothy 2 says, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. So Paul says, modest apparel, not with gold or pearls, but with that which is proper, good works. So, she's, so he's implying that the gold or pearls are not proper for a Christian, but that the good works would be proper. Okay, adorned with good works. So that, that was his point. Now let's go to... Uh, the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. 1 Peter 3, 3. Have you found it? The Bible says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, today when someone reads this text, they read that basically jewelry is fine, you just don't want that to be the only thing you adorn yourself with. Because the text says, uh, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Well, what's the word merely mean? It means not just that, right? Not only that. So you don't want it to be only outward. You don't want your adornment to be only outward. You want it to also be inward. The problem is, what does the word merely look like in your Bible? What does it mean that it's italicized? It means the word is, was not in the original Greek. The Apostle Peter didn't write it. The translators added it. Why do the translators add words? For clarification, because they felt that it was confusing. <laughs> Why did they think it was confusing? Because it was against culture. It did not make sense to say, not wear any, right? But, but rather, they wanted to put some, some uh, moderation. Okay, jewelry is fine in moderation. 
But what the text actually says is do not let your adornment be outward. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. And I think it's especially interesting that at the very end he says, uh, the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very what? Precious in the sight of God. When we talk about jewelry, what's, what's the word that we use to describe it? Precious, right? It's costly. It's precious. And this, I believe the apostle is drawing from this and saying, it's, it's the character that is what is precious in the sight of God. That is what attracts. That is what God views as precious, not as the world views as precious. So, we have these two passages that are basically saying the same thing. Let your dormant not be outward, let it not be uh, not with, and it mentions uh, these costly clothing and jewelry, etc. And then it says, but let it be, in 1 Timothy, good works. In Peter, a meek and quiet spirit, the character, right? Now, do you remember in Revelation chapter 12, where Revelation talks about the woman in Revelation 12 who represents or symbolizes the church. You remember this in Revelation 12? Okay. In that passage, um, let's turn to it together. Let's look at Revelation 12 together. Because in that passage, we find something very interesting. Revelation 12 and verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Now, this woman symbolizes a church. In this case, which church does this woman represent? The true church, right? Clothed with the sun, moon, and stars. Now, in the Bible, do you, can you think of any phrases that refer, that, 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 you could kind of combine the sun, moon, and stars into one phrase. Well, creation is a little broad. The sun, moon, stars. The heavens. The heavens. The Bible refers to the heavens. By the way, do you remember what Psalm 19, verse 1 says? The heavens declare the glory of God. Have you read that? The heavens declare the glory of God. What's the glory of God, by the way? His character, his goodness, right? You can read uh, the story of Moses when he said, show me your glory, and then he, he expresses his character and his goodness. So this idea is that the natural light of the heavens declares the glory of God, the goodness of God. So when you see symbolically here this woman clothed with the natural light of the sun, moon, and stars, what's she clothed with? The character of God. Isn't that exactly what Peter and Paul both said that we should be clothed with? By the way, how much artificial jewelry is on this woman? You don't see any. Garland of stars on the moon with the sun. Now look at Revelation chapter 17 and verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, 
with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So this woman, is this a pure church? Okay, this is clearly talking about Babylon, the impure church, the apostate church. And notice verse 4. The woman was arrayed in what? Purple and scarlet. What do you think of when you think back to Peter and Paul? Costly array, right? The purple and scarlet. And adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. So how much natural light is on this woman? None. The glory of God, the goodness of God, the character of God, it's not revealed in this woman. So to make up for that, what does she have to do? Artificial. It's all artificial. And some people don't believe it, but a woman who has the security and the sweetness and the inner strength to go counter-cultural and not wear jewelry is beautiful. A woman who has that type of inner strength actually reveals something, especially with a positive attitude and a warm attitude. It's different. It's unique. And people in the world notice it. They do. And so the Bible is not just talking about, oh, just, you know, don't do too much. That's not the point. The point is a contrast. It's a contrast between character and artificial replacement of character. And that's really the underlying uh, point. Now, when I give a Bible study on this issue, I always close the issue, and there's many other texts we could go to, and they're in, in there. But I always talk about the time. This is how I close the topic of jewelry. Do you remember the time when they cast lots for Jesus' uh, robe and for his gold chain? You remember that? No, you don't remember that because Jesus did not have a gold chain. Why would Jesus not have a gold chain? He was meek and lowly in heart. Right? Would Jesus want to um, draw attention to himself artificially in that way? Would Jesus want someone to be distracted from his character through some other attraction? We know that Jesus wanted to be approachable to the poorest, to, to everyone. He wanted to be approachable. So we know it, it would bother us if Jesus was wearing a gold chain. I think to, you know, to some degree it would be like, he didn't, he didn't, you know, not everybody, he wasn't the poorest of the poor, you know. So what we do is we say, okay, well, then that's why I wear dollar earrings. But all we're doing is sort of pretending that we have the real thing when it's not the real thing, and, that's, and the spirit is no different. So the reality is that the reason that we as Seventh-day Adventists take the position that jewelry is not 
part of our wardrobe is because Jesus was meek and lowly in heart, and we want to be like Jesus. I mean, we're just following the example of Jesus. That's what we're doing. Um, now, to be clear, I'm not, you know, the police on this. <laughs> um, there are many things that are, I think, straining in a net, you know, people walking around with rubber band things and, um, you know, a brooch or a tie clip or whatever, like whatever. I don't have issue with that sort of thing. Um, but people need to use their own judgment and, you know, ask for wisdom from God. And, and I don't think it's wrong to want to look attractive either. I had one woman I studied the Bible with, and she felt so convicted. She called me up at one time, and she was like, at the time I wasn't even a pastor. I was just giving Bible studies. I said, Jim, I need, I need your help. I'm going through my closet, and there's this one red dress that, uh, you know, I just, I love it. And I, and I think I just, I have to get rid of it. I've got to get rid of it. So why do you have to get rid of it? Because I love it. So, well, I, I feel like I, I you know, I, I look, I look good. <laughs> like, well, you know, it depends on what you mean. But to look attractive or to choose colors that you like and that sort of thing, I'm, I'm not talking about that, you know. And when it comes to makeup, you already heard what I said about that. That's a subjective thing. And I like what George Vandeman used to say. You know what George Vandeman said? The barn needs painted, paint it. <laughs> um, that's, that's the deal. If, if you need to, you know, for your own, uh, you know, sense of security and to just remove blemishes and to have a more healthful, natural appearance and you want to wear makeup, I, like, I have a problem if people go totally unnatural and, and, and that sort of thing, but even then, I'm not going to, you know, mandate something to someone, per se. But we need to have grace toward people when it comes to this type of thing. Conscientiousness about ourselves and grace toward other people. Okay, that's, that's the key. And, and you never know what people are wrestling with and what decisions they're wrestling with and what have you. So Ellen White was really clear. She said, don't pick at the leaves. You know, that's not going to help anything. You help someone along, and that doesn't mean you don't instruct them in this. That's why we give Bible study. You want to instruct them. You want them to understand the will of God. But then don't harp on it to the point where someone, you know, who really has more of, a, of an internal issue, where they think that that is the biggest issue they need to deal with, when in most cases there's a more uh, internal issue that they need to deal with. Um, but certainly we need to be clear about what we believe on this. Notice, too, in your Bible study that Seventh-day Adventists are not the only ones who believe that, um, that jewelry was not uh, appropriate from a biblical standpoint. If you look in here, there's a page that gives you quotes from John Wesley, Charles Finney, C.H. Spurgeon, um, and, and Mark even included Mr. T in there. So anyway, um, so many you know, Baptists, Methodists, uh, Presbyterians, etc., certainly other, other denominations, at one point believed exactly the same as we do on this. This was, they, they have, we have sermons we can pull up that say what we believe on this. So why did they change their mind? They came to a point where they believed that the culture 
should condition, or that the Bible itself was conditioned by the culture. And they let current culture dictate how they interpret the Scripture instead of just taking the Scripture for what it says. Um, should I talk about the wedding ring? Do you want to talk about the wedding ring? <laughs> okay. So, so here's my, my take on the wedding ring is that, um, first of all, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I'll start there, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church manual, um, gives allowance for um, a ring that is worn not for adornment, um, but basically for functional purposes to testify that you are married. Um, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. I support that. If someone feels that their ring is merely functional to express that they are married, then that's fine. I'll tell you that personally, when I was going through it back when I was, you know, just recently married and I, you know, eventually, just very shortly after that, I stopped wearing a ring and it's been, you know, however many years, 25 years now. I, my thought process was, well, it's not really functional, it's more symbolic and there's a lot of symbolic things, so I'd rather just steer clear of symbolic um, and that, that was the decision that I made. I had one couple that I was studying with and he was, they're a great couple, they're still strong, strong Adventists and uh, was able to baptize them. But one of them, um, or, or they got married while I was studying with them and she started wearing this ring. He had a very good job and he had, you know, a fair amount of money and so he, you know, treated her right. <laughs> got her a nice rock. And I was, you know, noticing the rock but I didn't say anything about the rock because I wasn't there yet and we weren't even talking about jewelry yet and we were just whatever. But at Vespers, you know, they, would still, they were starting to come to the church and what have you. She pulled me aside at a Vespers and wanted to talk to me. We walked out to the parking lot and got in their van. And she said, um, you know, I need to talk to you about the ring. And I'm like, I, we had not even talked about it. She just, from exposure to the Seventh-day Adventist Church and looking at people and some were wearing them and some aren't and all that. And, she's, and she said, when I look at my ring, I think about the commitment I made before God and how much my husband loves me. I said, okay. And I said, I'm the only caveat I would give to that, the only caution I would give. If that's your reason, the caution I would give is that we should not determine symbols of God's love, okay, that He does not ask us to use. Okay? That's a cultural symbol that could conflict with things that he says. So I said, for me and my commitment to God, my naked finger is a symbol. Because it's a symbol that I don't have to bow to culture. And even though it would be a lot, lot easier, and I wouldn't have a problem with it, and you know, what have you, this is where I was at that time, I'm just telling you. I said, I'm, you know, for me, it's, it's not necessary. And I just told her my own conviction. Well, she ended up deciding, both of them, that they didn't need to wear any wedding ring. But I have married and baptized many people who wear a simple wedding band. And I have no problem with that. 
because they view it as functional. I'll tell you where I do think there's some concern. When you read in the passage in 1 Timothy, it's talking about adornment or extravagance. When you read in the church manual, it even uses uh, that language that for some, they do not view it as an ornament. Okay? So if someone is saying, this is functional and that's why I'm wearing it, because I don't view it as an ornament, then you probably shouldn't ornament it. You follow what I'm saying? Like, if it's not an ornament, then don't pile on ornaments. Now, I'm not here to, you know, pick. I mean, if some people have little bitty you know, etchings, whatever. <laughs> I'm not looking at your rings, whatever. But my point is just to say, let's not abandon the principle that the Scripture is clearly saying. Okay, When the church allows for the people's own conscience to make a decision based on their own conscience, it's based on the idea of a functional band. The, the point was never to say, open up to, you know, I'm not wearing earrings, but I'll wear a ring that stands up three inches from my... No, that's not, that's not equivalent. So that's where I am and the, where the church is uh, on the wedding ring. If you really were to look at all of the statements that have been made, um, even though now in the church manual it just says ring, it doesn't say much, um, all of the, the actions that had been taken in years past really were talking about an allowance for a simple ring. Okay, So, you know, if you're not there, that's okay. Right now we're in just in learning mode, and, and that's fine. Uh, and you may have other reasons, and, you know, I'm not claiming to be uh, the full authority on this, but that is where the church has taken a position historically. Now the church in many places now, you go into many places and you know jewelry as a whole is not an issue. But Seventh-day Adventists who take the Bible and the spirit of prophecy seriously will not come to that conclusion. And I would strongly encourage you if you have any questions about this particular topic to read the chapter called The Beauty of Modesty in here because there are multiple arguments made and spirit of prophecy passages used that can help bring a little bit fuller picture to what we've shared here. I'm sorry that we didn't get into the Christian lifestyle, but that's why I told you that I was a little bit afraid that was not going to happen. But you've got it. You can. See. That's right. There's a chapter the disciples of Amos called "The Pure in Heart," and it addresses the issues in uh, the topic on lifestyle, which is six B, the study six B. And let me just tell you on Christian lifestyle. It's got a chapter on Sabbath observance, reverence, stewardship, health, modesty, the pure in heart that I mentioned on lifestyle and entertainment types of things, and love at home is on marriage and family. So there's a lot of stuff on lifestyle that could be of help to you in that book. It's been a real blast being with you guys. I need to let you go. Mark, are there any announcements for this group before we finish? Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I pray that the Lord will give you a great finish to this camp meeting and uh, that you will be blessed as you journey home and use the things that you've learned. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time we've had to study your word, to tackle some sensitive topics, but some important ones. We pray that you would continue to lead and guide us so that we, Lord, are not led by our own judgment or our own opinions. We want to be led by you and have the Word of God as the rule of our faith and practice. So bless us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.